Hey, good morning, everybody. How are y'all? Good. All right. My name is Jason Espy. I'm an elder here at Calvary. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to just go through the routines and we can get distracted and just show up and just it's just another Sunday. Uh, I find my heart doing that sometimes. And uh, I just want to encourage you. This is the word of God. And I want to ask you a question. Have you come here just because this is what we normally do and it's kind of routine? Or have you come here to hear from God and to, um, you know, bow your life and your heart to to him? Um, I want to encourage you. This isn't routine. This this has eternal ramifications Um, in our scripture reading today. So let's read from the scriptures. Our scripture is going to be uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 20. All right, verse 8, I'm going to be reading from the NASAB. It starts off saying, If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. Verse 14, when those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hands. And this also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life, which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, He has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You know, as he was reading the scripture, my mind is going about a thousand miles an hour and um, I... I'm wondering how this message will be received. I'm wondering if we will really look at this passage as truth. Many of us are blinded. We don't even know that we stare through glasses of the American dream. And so many times, because of that, we have a false view of the security and the value of money. Let me pray real quick, and then I'll get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, Two things I pray. Well, three things. (laughs) Number one, that you would be glorified, that we would enjoy our time together, and Lord, that we would enjoy our lives, because that is what you have commanded us to do in the book of Ecclesiastes. Number two, Lord, I pray that we would open our eyes to really see the truth, Lord, that we would not dismiss it or we would say, oh, that's a great truth for my wife or my children or somebody else. But, Lord, that we really see it for what it truly is. And then number three, Lord, that you would open the eyes of the blind for those that do not know you as Savior. Lord, that you would allow them to see the truth, that you are the Son of God and the Christ that has come to save us from our sin and that you have paid for my debt in full. Lord, I pray that for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And today we are in our seventh week of a 14-week series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And in a word, the book of Ecclesiastes could be summed up as blunt, honest, true, 
pragmatic, to some of us is pessimistic. But to me, I'm just going to say something. This book, besides the book of Romans, has changed my life more than any other book I've ever preached. It's just simply a great book. And today, I really want to talk to you about money or the vanity of money, because that's what we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. We see the vanity of money in chapter 5, part 1, and then chapter 6 is part 2 of the same discussion. But I'm just going to say something right off the bat. We have a very unhealthy view of money. Can I say that again? Can you re- I would encourage you to receive that. Okay, somebody else has an unhealthy view. I'm, I'm going to challenge all of us. We have a very unhealthy view of money. Forbes magazine every year puts out the Forbes 500, if you're familiar with that. It is a list of the 500 richest people in America. As if that's the greatest thing in the world. All they measure these men and women by are the amount of money they have in their bank account. They don't measure them by the moral aptitude they have or the integrity or the bodies they left behind, probably in some cases. They measure it solely based upon the amount of money they have. Friends, your value is not in how much money you have in the bank. Your worth is not determined by somebody else. It's not determined by how much stock and investments you own. It is determined. It is already decided by God, by the being above the sun. Let us not look to the world, to the beings under the sun, to give us value and lasting meaning. But let us look to the being above the sun and what he says about our worth and our value. Do not let the world convince you That money is an end-all, be-all, for it is vanity. But allow me to ask you the question. Let's just begin this morning. Uh, What what are, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? I like to do this sometimes. Um, What are some words that we have in English for money? What are some different synonyms? Dough? Good, all right. All right, (laughs) what else? Cash, what else? Moolah, that's good, I didn't have that one. That's really good, what else? What's up? Okay. What else? Yeah? Benjamin's very good. Fat stacks. Okay. All right. What else? What else? You know, this is the most I've ever had somebody respond. So there you go. Um, What are some other names we have for money? What's that? Worth or wealth? Good. What else? Yeah. So I went on the internet. All right, you can believe everything you believe on the internet. Um, and I typed in synonyms for money. All right, I'm giving you my list. And this is not even all of them, believe it or not. Cheese, okay, cash, capital, wealth, riches, Benjamin's coin, bankroll, bread, bucks, dough, funds, fat stacks, greenbacks, gravy, treasure, legal tender, and loot. Okay. But in a, in a, in a very real sense... This is money, and I'm just going to say something. We have a very unhealthy view of money. I want you to see how you handle this. Okay, now you're like, what am I going to do? This is money. If you can't see this, this is money. <laughs> I hear moans in the audience. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It was just a dollar, by the way. Um, You can't even buy a soda from McDonald's for that. Okay, you need seven cents. It's just a dollar. And it wasn't even y'all's. It was mine. And I tore it up. And even to be honest with you, it makes makes me cringe a little bit. But that tells you something. That tells you something. That we have a very unhealthy view of money. Friends, God is the one that gives us funds, greenbacks, gravy, whatever you want to call it. God, it's all God's anyways. Let us, before we enter, I just want you to have a fresh perspective. I want you to set aside what our culture says about money, what your mind says about money, what your innate 
person says about money. And I want you to see what the scriptures say. Because if we're really all honest, if we're really honest, I don't care if you're old or young, we all struggle with just a little bit of greed. We all struggle with a little bit of insecurity when it comes to money. We all struggle with a little bit of worry if we have enough to pay our bills. But Solomon addresses us right then and there. He spends a a chapter and a half just talking about the vanity of money. What do we mean by the word vanity? It is the Hebrew word hevel, which means smoke or vapor. How money seems to satisfy, but it just disappears, leaving you a little bit poorer. That's what I want to talk to you about today. But let us kind of get the lay of the land, where we are in the book of Ecclesiastes. I do this every week, and I said last week for two reasons. Number one, if this is your first week in the book of Ecclesiastes, you're a first-time visitor, it allows you to kind of catch up to where we are. But also, repetition is theological glue. It helps us remember the book of Ecclesiastes. What are the five principles that center on the book of Ecclesiastes that every single passage, either indirectly or directly, addresses one of these five principles? Principle number one is that we are to embrace that life is short. The generations come and generations go that the sun hastens to his place. Number two, that we should just accept that life is simply just unfair. That there is injustice in the world. That injustice is rampant. But when we experience the unfairness of life, that when you experience injustice, what should you remember? Two things, right? Number one, that God is ultimately in control, that he sees everything. And number two, that God is just. That vengeance is mine, I will repay. And can I just say something? Um, As I said last week, when you experience the injustices of life under the sun, what should you do? Don't take that frustration and that unfairness and the injustice that you experience that you feel like you did not deserve and take that and bury it deep down inside making yourself an atomic bomb. Do not let bitterness and resentment grow, but instead, that we saw last week in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, we should approach God. That the veil has been torn That he wants us to approach the throne of grace and bring our concerns before him. But let us also at the same time, what? Fear the Lord. Let us remember that he is God and that we are not. Number three, because life is short and because life is unfair, we should what? We should enjoy or eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, if you've been here for any length of time, I'm sure, number one, you've heard that. And number two, I hopefully that you are planning a vacation or something to enjoy soon. Because if you're not, you're probably not listening. That we should enjoy God's blessings. That we should enjoy our spouse, our house, no matter what it is. We should enjoy our cars. We should enjoy life. We should choose. Can I just say something? Enjoying life is a choice. It's not circumstance. You can enjoy life if you're the poorest person on the earth or you're the richest. It's just a matter of choice. The question is, what? Will we? Will we just simply set aside the worry of the world and just choose to enjoy what God has blessed us with? Number four, principle number four is that we are to fear the Lord. As I stated last week, we have this uh, unhealthy view of fear. We, we look at it, at Freddy Krueger and Jason from the Halloween movies. I've never seen any of those. But we, we, we look at fear through that lens. But fearing God is actually a healthy thing. As a matter of fact, I said this. The foundation of a healthy, growing relationship with God is the fear of the Lord. And then number five, we balance it all out with keeping God's commandments. And what is Solomon's goal in this whole book? What is the implicit theme? It is a life well lived that Solomon, God through Solomon, has said to us, how do we have a great life under the sun in our 80 years that we have to live? And if you think about it, what is one topic, if the goal of the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole is a life well lived, what must Solomon talk about? What is one thing that he must address? Money. Money becomes such an integral part of our lives. And can I just speak, money is so deceiving. This 
$1 bill seems so valuable, okay? It makes us cringe when the pastor of the church tears up his own dollar bill. But in reality, it is just not worth much. Money can be so deceiving. The psalmist speaks right to that today. So if you have your scripture, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 8. But before I really get in, I just want to kind of get some definitions and stuff out of the way. Uh, What do we mean by money? Now, this is a $100 bill. What do we mean by this? I'm making you all nervous, aren't I? Okay. (laughs) Don't worry. Okay, all right. Okay. But just prove the point. Amen? All right, moving on. What is money? What do we actually mean by this? Um, you may or may not know this, but my undergraduate degree is in business. I, I thought about it as a, like a 19-year-old young man. I went to Moody Bible Institute for a summer, and I walked out of there, and I came home from Chicago, Illinois, and I went to my dad and said, Dad, you know, I'm thinking about getting this really random bachelor's degree in this far-off ministry field, okay, that was really irrelevant to the real world. And my dad said to me, Byron, I'm not paying for that, okay? You need to be able to eat, Okay. And if you want to go into ministry, go get your master's degree. So what I did was I went to business school. My undergraduate degree is in business administration, and I sat in a bunch of economics classes, and they were among my favorite. Nerd. Okay. And we had a whole discussion on just answering the question, what is money? What is it? It is just a medium of exchange. That's all it is. The dictionary says this. A current medium of exchange in the form of coin or banknotes. What? It's nothing. It's just a piece of paper. It's really, if you think about money, cash money, it really has no good utility use in the world. I mean, think about it. You can't really make a long-lasting fire with it unless you burn a whole lot of it, okay? It, it tears easily. It's easy to lose. It's easy to be stolen. Money is just a medium of exchange. It's just something that I use to buy goods and services with. But in reality, money is just not much. But we place so much value. This is how we dictate our worth. This is what America tells us justifies that you are better than another person. But what does the Bible say about money? If you have your, on the back of your note sheet, I would encourage you to grab one. You can get up and you won't distract me if you want to. But on the back of your note sheet, there is this huge list of scriptures, and I'm not going to read all of them to you today. I just kind of picked out a few Bible verses on money, what the Bible says about it. Psalm 37, verse 21. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Proverbs 13, 11, Dishonest money dwindles away. So don't worry about the person that is getting rich from doing crooked things. Why? Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little, in a 401k or whatever, makes it grow. That's a true principle. Can I repeat that one? Whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Proverbs 13:22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children to their grandchildren. Proverbs 22:26 and 27. Do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. Don't be a cosigner. If you lack the money to pay, your very bed will be snatched out from under you. Matthew six nineteen through 21 No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. What is he talking about here? You cannot serve both God and money. If you love money and you worship it, you can't serve God to the fullest. That's what he says. Mark 8.36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I've seen that firsthand. Whether we want to believe it or not, that is true. Can I just speak? Is money evil? No. But is the love of money evil? Yes. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered. Listen, you can probably test to this. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. How many of you have ever seen that of somebody in the world? Dude, that is so true. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's true. Hebrews 13.5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Can I just speak? Money is not evil. We sometimes want to say that rich people are always evil just because they're rich, and they might be evil, but moving on from that, but not because they're rich. We want to, say, we want to equate the two. But money is not evil. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is he saying in all these verses? Number one, manage your money well, be wise and save, get out of debt. For a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But do not idolize, do not love, and do not ultimately worry about money. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Can I just speak? I thought about my life. um, And I just thought about all of the things that I worry about. And the list goes on and on. Can, I'm going to just ask you a question. What are some things that people worry about in the world? What are some things that you, you don't have to confess your sins if you don't want to in front of everybody? Um, but what are some things that you worry about? Time? What else? Health? Kids? What else? Bills? What else? I, I, I thought about my life and I said, you know, Byron, the vast majority of things that I worry about are probably and somehow related to money do i have enough to pay my bills am i investing my money well will i be able to pay for my kids college can i pay for my kids whatever be content in what you have your value is not in how much money you have in the bank your value is already determined by god and he says to you as a believer in Jesus Christ that you are his child, that you are adopted, that his love is inseparable. So let us not find our worth in what the world finds valuable. If you have your text, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And today, we're really is in two different sections. If you have your text in front of you, maybe your text kind of has verse 8 and 9 in one section or has it in another section. But verses 8 and 9... And, and 10 through 20 kind of fit together like mismatched socks or like a puzzle piece that you can't quite make work. It doesn't seem like it relates to one another, but watch how it does. Verses 10 through 20 really talks about the vanity of money, but verses 8 and 9 is related as well. Verse 8, if you see the oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the providence... Do not be shocked at its sight. Why? Because the world is darkened by sin. That through Adam, sin was introduced to the world and that we are all broken. That's why we all need Jesus. For one official watches over another and there are higher officials than them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is the advantage to the land. Okay, it doesn't seem to fit with the discussion of the vanity of money. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. I, this verse really... These two verses really kept me up at night this week because I was struggling. What does it even mean? If you notice in verses 8 and 9, what is it really just talking about? Just take a step back. Whoop, almost tripped and fell. Okay, there's something there. Awkward. Okay. Um, what is verses 8 and 9 really talking about? It's talking about the injustice in the world, the unfairness in the world, that the rich sometimes oppress the poor, the injustice of the greedy preying upon the poor. But, okay. Take a step back with me. What did Solomon just get done talking about? He just got done talking about the fear of God. God is just and he will recompense. If I can be honest, and what I see in the text is this, that those who prey on the poor all the way to a corrupt king, that God will recompense. Vengeance is mine. I will repay that God is just. So do not fret over evildoers. For they will not ultimately succeed. If you have your notes, that is the first blank. Why is money vanity? One who loves money will not ultimately succeed. 
evil men will not ultimately succeed because God is just and he will recompense. What does the scripture say? Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Can I just ask you a question? Do men or women or people really prosper who have nothing but wealth? Let me say that again. Do men really prosper who have nothing but wealth? How many, you don't have to read, how many of you have ever known a rich person? They're really kind of two or three different types, right? You're either the generous kind or you're what? You're grumpy, okay? And you are a miser and you're just not generous. Do men really prosper who have nothing but wealth? I heard a story of this finance professor at a, at a college. And in the middle of teaching about money, every once in a while, he's a Christian, every once in a while he'll stop talking in the middle of class and he'll say, you know, none of this really matters. If you can't be a good father, a good mother, if you can't be honest and have integrity, then all of the money in the world is for naught. You can't buy a happy marriage. You can't buy well-behaved kids. You can't buy great health. You can't buy a long life. You can't buy fulfillment. You can't buy eternal life. If you see evil men getting wealthy, just let it go. Because God is just, he is sovereign, he is in control, and he will recompense in the end. He who loves money will not ultimately succeed. But this is where, let's go to verse 10. This is where the meat of the passage really comes in. Why is money vanity? One who loves money, number two, will not be satisfied. Will not be satisfied. How many of you have ever saved up a bunch of money for something? And then you got it. And then after about a month, you were like, really? This is all I got? Or how many of you saved your money your whole life just to retire? And then you got to retirement and you're like, I'm kind of bored. Money does not satisfy. Verse 8, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Let me read that again. Let me just put it into your brain. Verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Verse 10 is true. I'm not sure if we really believe that or not. Why? Because we live in America. We live in the richest nation the world has ever known. That we center our whole nation around money and about possessions. That we buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't like. Why do we do that? It's because we're trying to find satisfaction in money and it just doesn't work. He who loves money will not be satisfied with it. That is true. The richest man in the world was asked, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. What really brings satisfaction? Chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to what? Eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? He who loves money will not be satisfied. I've known... A lot of wealthy people. Matter of fact, one of my relatives is probably one of the wealthiest people in North Alabama and might become the richest person in the state. And her life is first ten. He who loves money will not be satisfied. Every time I see her, she looks different. <laughs> okay. She spends more money on Botox and plastic surgery than I probably make in a year. Every time I see her, she has a new toy, a new car. She lives in a house that is far larger and far nicer than mine. And she is related to me. She is a relative. And she is rotting from the inside out. All of us see it. All of us look at her life. And none of us are envious. Because we see that she's trying to find satisfaction in what she owns instead of being satisfied in what God has given her. Friends, you will not be satisfied with money. I've seen people 
try to buy nice things, and there's nothing wrong with having nice things. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. But can I just pop an American dream balloon? It's just money. And whose really is it? You'll see it in verse 19, but who really is it? Who gives it to us? It is God's. And God gives us money for really three reasons. To invest it, to give it, and to enjoy it. There's the only three things you can do with money. is to invest it, to enjoy it, and to give it. That's it. We in the American dream have this idea that, you know, if I work hard and I save my money, then I will become rich, and you probably will become monetarily rich in America if you invest it well and you save little and often and early, okay? But then we have this mentality that because I worked hard for it, therefore it is mine. But it's not, that God has given it to us for us to manage well. If you're still not convinced, if you are wealthy here today, I don't know if you're wealthy, it doesn't, none of my business, I don't want to know, okay? But if you are wealthy... And you worked hard, and you should work hard, and you saved your money, and you put it in a 401k, which you should. Put it in S&P 500 index funds. Super nerd. Okay, do that. And if you convince yourself that it is all you, that you deserve to be rich, and it's all your money, then let me just ask you a question. Do you cause the stock market to go up? Do you cause your home to become more valuable? Did you, were you guaranteed a great job? That provided for your family allowed you to save. I have known poor doctors, poor broke lawyers, and poor broke engineers, and I've known wealthy people that do not make a lot of money. If I can put an idea in your mind, is this, to know that your money is God's, that he has given it to you for you to manage, for you to enjoy it, and for you to give it. Why is money vanity? He who loves money will not be satisfied. Number three, it will increase problems. Verse 11. Money, if you have your notes, attracts buzzards. Verse 11. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. More money, more problems. Have you ever heard that before? The richer you are, the more people you attract. Okay? The more you have, the more people try to get you to give them money. It's just a truth of the matter. That's, you know, I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, this, the boxer, Mike Tyson, okay, I mean, whatever, he, he makes a great illustration for life. He really does in what not to do in reality. Um, he made over $300 million in the ring, and he was in debt $30 million at one time. And he said the reason that was is because he had a lot of leeches. He had a lot of people that hung around him just consuming his money. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. It's just a true statement. If people know you're wealthy, guess what they're going to do? People, money attracts buzzards. Number, underneath that, money keeps you up at night. Verse 12. The sleep of a working man is pleasant whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to their own hurt. Money keeps you up at night. If you worship it, if you bow down to it, if you love it. But if you trust the Lord, there is relief. I, I'm reminded of a story. There's a story of a, a rich, the richest man in a Texas town. He is probably a billionaire from just real estate in North Texas. And he, he stays up all night long looking at video cameras in a variety of his properties to see if anybody breaks in to steal copper wiring, okay? It's just copper wiring. And I remember the story. I heard it a while ago. He puts intercoms in his properties. So when people break in, he sees them on a camera and he yells at them. He stays up all night long worried about copper wiring. Who cares? He's a billionaire. But that's what money does. It deceives us. When we love it, it becomes our value, our worth, our security blanket. But friends, money is fleeting. It can be here today and gone tomorrow. I can't tell you how many people I have met over the years that have money at one time. It's just gone. Trust the Lord. Don't put your value there. Your value is already predetermined. 
Number three, money is fleeting. Verse 14, when those riches were lost through a bad investment, he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. What did the rich man do? He wanted nothing more than to provide for his son, and he lost it all in a bad investment. What is Solomon saying? Is that he can be here today and gone tomorrow. How many of you, you don't have to read, how many of you have ever experienced that? How many of you experienced in Bitcoin? <laughs> okay. Or, or cryptocurrency. It is here today and gone tomorrow. That's money. It's fleeting. So don't put your value there. If you are here, let me just encourage you for something. Be responsible with your money. Manage it well. Get out of debt. Have a three, six-month emergency fund. If you don't know what it means to be great with your money, go be on Dave Ramsey's program. We're having a uh, Financial Peace University starting in October. If, you've, if you're, especially if you're young here and you've never saved, you don't know anything about investment, please take that course. It will change your life, I promise. Be good with your money because what it does is it does allow the worry to subside just a little bit. But ultimately speaking, what? You have no control over it. So trust the Lord. Trust him that he is in control and that he loves you and cares enough. Money is fleeting. It attracts buzzards. It keeps you up at night. And then number four, why is money vanity? You can't take it with you. Verse 15. As he came naked from his mother's womb, verse 14, the man who lost his money in a bad investment, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. What is Solomon saying to you here? Can I just speak? I want you to think, who is Solomon? He's not only the wisest man who has ever lived, but he's also what? The richest man the world has ever known. He has 700 wives. He built the temple out of gold. He was the richest man the world has ever known. And what does he tell us? And, and, and I know we know some of this truth. What does he tell the American way? As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. What? That you can't take it with you. That don't spend your whole life just accruing, 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 make yourself feel safer and safer and safer, more valuable and more valuable and more valuable, because one day you will pass away. And guess how much of it you can carry with you? Not one single penny. Money is just money. You can't take it with you. So enjoy it. How do you prevent the love of money? Can we just speak? Um, we in America struggle with this mightily. But also, I've noticed just in culture as a whole that you don't have to be rich in order to love money, okay? You can be poor and love money and not be satisfied. I've seen both ends of the spectrum. How do you prevent the love of money? The day after I received some money from my dad's estate, the first thing I did is I wore a hazmat suit because I was struggling with COVID, okay? And I came up to the church. I put checks in a sealed envelope and I turned it in because why because that blessing some money from my dad's estate was not mine it was God's and he deserves the first fruits of our labor how do you prevent the love of money first you realize it's not yours but that God has given you the responsibility to manage it well number one you realize it's not yours number two you realize that you can't take it with you so don't place your value in it. Number three, you realize that you have a responsibility to manage it well, to put it in investments, to manage it. I'm, okay, can I just speak? I'm a super big nerd when it comes to things like this, so forgive me. Okay, if you want to talk about money, just talk to me afterwards. Y'all who know me well probably know that about me. Okay, number three, you manage it well. Number four, you give it away. There's only three things you can do with money. It is to invest it, it is to give it, and it is to enjoy it. And the fifth thing that you can do to prevent the love of money is to enjoy it. Notice verse 18. Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting. 
to eat and to drink and to enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given them for this is his reward. Does that sound familiar? Okay, one of the principles that we have in order to live a great life is to enjoy God's blessings when we have money. If we don't want to place our love and our value there, we should just enjoy it. Enjoy life. Life is too short to be miserable. It is too short to be angry and bitter all the time. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my beloved wife, and she is wonderful for me. Um, I, was, I was working on a few things last night, and I was smiling about something. And, um, and she looked at me, and she said, why are you laughing? <laughs> I was like, okay. She's like, you're kind of grumpy lately. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. I guess I, guess I need to apply Book of Ecclesiastes a little bit more. Um, Life is too short to be grumpy all the time, to be bitter all the time. Life is too short to stock all your money away and never enjoy it. If you have some money in the bank, guess what? God has given it to you, and he's given it to you to manage well and to enjoy it. If you've been here for any length of time and you haven't planned a vacation yet, Please do that. And if you don't have enough money for a vacation, then do something you will enjoy that recharges your batteries. That can, you, you can just enjoy God's blessings and what he's given to you in life under the sun. Go on a hike. Go eat at 80 at buffet. Eat at all you can eat buffet. Okay? I don't know what you enjoy. Just go. Because one day you will die. And it's going to be pretty bad if you have never enjoyed any of the blessings that God has given to you. If you've never just gone on a really nice vacation that you can afford. If you haven't enjoyed a Diet Coke today, buy one. I will on the way home. Just enjoy life. It's too short. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting. To eat and drink and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life. What is our reward is to enjoy our toil. Verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth. Wait, who gave it to him? Yeah. I'm changing that in the American dream. I'm hoping you hear that. Verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, God has given to him, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. Notice that last phrase. We think that salvation and eternal life is the only gift of God, but that is not true. That God's gift to us, for who are believers, above the sun is eternal life, but below the sun it is two different things. We've seen this again. We've seen this phrase before. Number one, to enjoy your life and to a gift of God is to eat from your toil. He who also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor, this is a gift from God. That if you plant corn, you get corn, and you can eat corn. That's his point. But who gives us the reward? Who rewards our toils? It is from the Lord. For every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has empowered him to eat from them and to rejoice in them. Whether God has given you two nickels to rub together, five dollars, one dollar that I tore up, or five thousand dollars. We should be responsible with our money. Don't get me wrong. Please, okay. Can you just, can I pause? This is totally off script. I want to correct something. Please do not hear me say, okay, that Byron told me to enjoy money, therefore I'm going to go put $10,000 on a vacation on my credit card because he told me to. Don't do that. Okay, don't do that. That's breaking other commands, that the borrower is slave to the lender. Okay, don't do that. What I'm saying to you is this, that the money that God has given to you, that's not your money when you put it on a credit card. Amen? Sorry. This is not. The money that God has given to you, just enjoy it. Enjoy your job. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your spouse. Life is too short to be miserable. My family disease, my family sin is misery. Uh, to find an excuse to be miserable. <laughs> okay. I look at my family history. I look at my father's father. And I look at my father. And they took 
the injustices of the world, the unfairness of life. And they took it, and instead of approaching the throne of grace with their concerns, instead of forgiving the one that cheated them, they took that injustice and they put it away and they became bitter at the world. My grandfather was a World War II veteran, and for the last 30 years of his life, every single day, talked about this guy named Homer Kerman, who stole a bunch of money from him. If I could go back in time, I would tell my grandfather to forgive that man and just know that it's only money. Guess how much my grandfather took with him? But he spent his whole life bitter about it. Friends, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Money is given to us by God for us to invest, to give, and to enjoy. My generational sin in my family is misery, is taking bitterness and resentment and causing them to be grumpy old men. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and, and it made them cheap. Only buying two large pizzas to feed 14 adults. That was so weird. It, it made my male ancestors die at an early age. Their bitterness and resentment caused rifts in my family. It caused my grandfather to be bitter and angry where no one really wanted to spend time with him because he's just going to repeat the same story over and over again. What happens when we enjoy life? When we enjoy God's blessings, when we enjoy life, when we handle our money well, what happens? Notice verse 20. I want you to mark this in your Bible. I want you to put it into your memory. For he will often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. When we enjoy life, when we handle our money well, what do we do? We will age without growing old. That's what he says. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. That when we enjoy life, we will age without growing old. I've known some really happy 90-year-olds that I would love to clone 25 times. And I've known some grumpy, miserable 30-year-olds. For he will often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of your heart. How many of you have ever watched a terrible movie before? You, what do you do the whole time? <laughs> okay. But when you watch a really good movie, what do you always do? You never stare at your watch. You enter the, get to the credits and say, it's been two hours already. That's life. That when you actually obey the scripture, when you actually enjoy life, when you enjoy God's blessings, guess what? You'll wake up one day and you'll be 80 and that is totally okay. For he will often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of your heart. When we enjoy life, we will age without growing old. Why is money vanity? Number one is because he who is greedy and oppresses the poor will not succeed. Number two, because it will not satisfy. Number three, it only increases your problems, which is totally true, and your worry. Number four, you can't take it with you. How do we prevent the love of money? First, you realize it's not yours. Number two, you realize you can't take it with you. Number three, you realize you have a responsibility to manage it well. Number four, you give it. And number five, you enjoy it. Do not place your value and security in your bank account. Place, change the way you think. Let's just acknowledge how the American dream taints our minds. Let us set that aside. Our worth is already determined by the love of God. Before we go, I'm going to kind of give you some, I, I'm doing a lot of homework assignments with the book of Ecclesiastes. The reason I'm doing this is to kind of get you off the sidelines into the game. I want you to kind of gather what I have gathered from the book of Ecclesiastes. Assignment number one is what, really what I want you to do is there's a list. If you don't have notes, there should be some in the back. But number one, I want you to read through all of the verses on money that the scripture says. And number one, I want you to kind of come up with some timeless principles from these, from these passages and the other questions are on the back of your sheet. Assignment number two is this. Do you agree with the statement that money is only good for three things, to invest it, to enjoy it, and to give it? And then there's three questions. How can you invest it well? How can you give it? Who is somebody? Can I just 
Friends, I don't care how poor you feel. You live in the richest nation in the world. If you, okay, listen, listen. If you think you're poor, go to Africa. How many, okay, can I speak? How many of you have ever been to a poor foreign country before? Dude, if you know what I'm talking about. You have, the Lord has blessed us in this nation. And God has given you at least a dollar. This week, I just want you to say, who can I bless it with? Who can I give to? How can I be generous to somebody in need? Even if you don't feel like you have two nickels rubbed together. And then number three, how can you just enjoy it yourself? Um, if you haven't been on a date night in a while and you've been chalking it up to, uh, I don't have enough money to go, please go on a date night with your wife. Find, find a babysitter for the kiddos. You know, I think about my life, you know, we have been poor at times. Um, man, ramen noodles. Uh, so we have been very poor at times. But one thing that Laura and I have always valued is eating out together. Anybody else can relate to that? Um, and that's how we connected. We saved our pennies just so that we could go on dates together and just spend time together. What am I doing there? I am enjoying it. That's what God has given us. That's what God has given you money. He's given you a job. Please do something to enjoy it. And then assignment number three is to look at all the hevels in the scripture. Last week we were to kind of look at them all, circle them all. And then what I want you to do this week is I want you to go back and look at all the words that says vanity and have a clear understanding of how Solomon uses that one word. And I am running a little bit behind. Real quick, if you don't know Christ Jesus, um, Jesus Christ, he came and he died for you to pay for your soul in full. And he's given you eternal life. By faith in him. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to repent of your sin, to believe in him, and be changed. Let me just say something also. If you know the truth, but have never been changed by the truth, then you aren't a Christian. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth. Uh, Money is a weird subject, and we get all weird about it. Um, But it's just a part of life. And, Lord, you give us clear instructions on how to handle it well. Lord, may we handle it well. May we enjoy it. May we give to you of our first fruits. May we manage it well, giving an inheritance to our children's children. But, Lord, I pray that we would not idolize it, that we would not serve it as our master. But, Lord, that we would trust in you and your provision for us. Lord, thank you for this church. I thank you for I just gonna, I thank you for the generosity of this church, especially our older saints. We thank you for the faithfulness and the generosity to this church, and how they continue to bless us. And we thank you for the legacy that they have, and that we are um, witnesses and beneficiaries of their generosity. We thank you for today in Jesus' name, Amen.